Hey, welcome you guys. Hey, okay, who set this up? We, we can't even see Michelle. Oh, we will. Oh. See, this is what I get for stepping in and trying to do anything. Uh, listen, uh, thanks for showing up. This is Heart of the Matter 2.0. I'm standing up uh, here with some people from Morro Bay, California. Uh, this is the schoolies. Uh, it's uh, Garrett and Michelle, and they have three children. I'll let them tell us about them and tell us what you're doing up here. You did an interview with someone today. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, me and my wife both interviewed with uh, Earl on his show, um, Ex-Mormon Files, and um, it really... Uh, I just contacted him last week on the spur. I knew I was coming up here. I, it's been forever since I've been up here, and um, I don't know when I'll be back. And so I took the opportunity, and Earl fit me in, and uh, God just worked it out. Awesome. We wanted to come up here and see you live, and um, yeah, that's about that's like the top of my. Did you two meet in high school? Yeah, mm -hmm. actually, we were we were friends in high school. Ah, but. Um, uh, God brought us back together after high school, and um, it, yeah, you need to watch the show, but it was really good. God, God did amazing things. Um, um, I, I came home from my mission early, and um, mm. we met up. We were both backslidden, Jack Mormon, backslidden Christian, mm. and I tried to, um, I was going to get back into the church because I was going to have a family, and um, God, I was going to prove to her that the Mormonism was true, mm. and God showed me otherwise boom yeah, yeah. good job yeah. I know, right? <laughs> all right yeah. can't wait to see that show yeah. on ex-mormon files definitely you have three children yes mm -hmm. morro bay yeah that's in california yeah. and we uh they know my nieces and nephews from my oldest sister's family she has a bunch of kids and they grew up together went to the same school uh know uh, know of the simon family so it's a small world we've been right. able to connect with that so grateful that you uh came any message you want to give to the audience besides watch your interview on bishop burrow's <laughs> show what uh i would say is god is good uh, god is faithful and all we need to do is believe in him believe and trust in him um and he will, he, he's faithful, and his love never fails. Love it. Nice. Garrett, Michelle, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Okay. All right. Before we uh, move forward, I should have done this with Garrett and Michelle. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you, need you, worship you, seek you, pray that you will bring peace, and you will bring uh, unity and love, and that differences can uh, be... Uh, set aside and uh, misunderstandings and um, hurt feelings as we continue to work toward uh, something better in the state. We love you and seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get into our main content tonight, I have a few things to address about our policy of total transparency. We use that word a lot in, this, in our Christian lives. We want to be transparent. And uh, so I want to really try to be transparent with you about everything. Uh, we have talked in, uh, with several people. You know who they are. Uh, you know, we have friends in the faith. This isn't, it's not, these are the only people we've talked to, but these are the ones that you know, have a reason to talk to us about some of this. We talked with Dave Nelson of K2, Nate Taylor of Hidden Valley and Draper, Paul Roby of South Mountain and Draper. Terry Long called me, actually he texted me. Actually, he emailed me, and we emailed back and forth. We're going to be talking together after Thanksgiving with Paul Roby, uh, two in a separate occasion. Dr. James White of Alpha and Omega Ministries, he uh, talked with us on the air. He's going to be coming out next uh, year early, within months, couple months. 
And uh, we uh, have those who continue to rail on me online. That group has never changed. Uh, uh, Jason Wallace is the leader. There are a bunch of guys who follow that whole crew. Uh, I've heard nothing from Greg Johnson. Uh, that's his greatest mo modus operandi. I've called Greg dozens and dozens of times to get no call back, never a call back from him. And so that's his standard thing. He does his gig, uh, but he won't communicate uh, with me. Working in reverse, I texted Jason Wallace last week. This is a verbatim quote of the text I sent. Jason, I know you'll, uh, you have watched the show, or you will. My question is, are you ready and willing to agree to leave each other out of these critical presentations? You know, in the spirit of peacemaking, or are you determined to continue to go after me in social media? I want peace, my brother, and will hold my tongue against your person if you are willing. Let me know. I haven't heard uh, anything from Jason, so I guess he's sticking with the full uh, charge ahead. Now you might say, well, you should turn the other cheek. You're being struck and struck, and you should turn the other cheek. And I don't think that's the prudent thing to do when we're trying to build bridges and get over things. Uh, there, we have quietly listened to him for five years online, and so now is the time for us to try another tactic to see if this will work. And so that's what we're doing. I have not followed up with Sandra Tanner. Uh, she feels herself maligned. I have that from... Uh, people who have talked to her for my rant uh, two weeks ago. Uh, there's some talk going around uh, wondering if I am going to apologize to Sandra. And so let me just be clear and transparent. I meant every single word I said. How can I apologize for something I meant? Un unless I was meaning it to be vicious. I was not meaning it to be vicious. I was meaning it to be helpful, to rip off the bandages, expose them to the light, and get the, the wounds healed. And so uh, there is a question about my rightness to, as a Christian, to name names. Uh, even among our group uh, here at campus, people have expressed concern. So I've had to think about it. I've had to look at myself. And here are my thoughts. We have had no problem at all with my naming names when we went after the Mormons. Uh, you loved it when I mentioned Gordon B. Hinckley or Thomas Monson or any of those guys. I mean, I could hear the applause when that would happen. Uh, should it change when we're looking at ourselves? And so many people say, yes, it should change. We, we should do something different. So I said, all right, let me consider what happens in the Bible. What actually occurs there when it comes to, and this isn't congregates, this is leaders or, or managers, if you will. And I distinctly remember Jesus, he was, uh, he was complimenting Peter, and then Peter said something dumb, and Jesus called him Satan. <laughs> he said, get behind me, Satan, and it was a public thing. It was in front of the other guys. It was right out there. There wasn't the confidential take him aside and do the leadership Stephen R. Covey stuff. It was straight out. I remember... Uh, Paul, right, when we read, I think it's in Corinthians, it may be in a later epistle, where he says, I took Peter and I withstood him face to face in a public place in front of the others who were there. I withstood him for his treatment of the Gentiles. Again, it was right there, you know. So no sacrosanct hidden stuff, straight up open talk and no problem with it. For nearly five years, I've witnessed in silence the people saying things in the dark 
and I just don't think the dark's the way it's got to be. So we're trying to expose things to the light of day. Remember the New Testament, uh, and here's some New Testament passages that even support doing things before people. And in the light, Paul said to Romans 13, 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Darkness meaning things that are hidden, things that are said quietly, the little whispers and things. Bring them to the light. Any darkness is bad in my opinion. So I want to be out in the open. Ephesians 5, 1, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, it says. Reprove them. And then the, the topper is 1 Timothy 5.20. Let them that, sin, oh, them that sin rebuke before all. Have you ever heard that phrase? Rebuke before all. Uh, so that they, others may fear. Now you might say, well, what's the difference between the critics uh, that are against you online and you doing this on the air? One, I've tried to reach the people uh, who are online and do it to them face to face. Two, there's no rebuking before all when it's online. It, it, it's, I would do this with them here. I could, we could stand here and work this out. But there's none of that. There's the subtle uh, strategy that's going on behind doors, and that's what I'm trying to talk about. Sometimes the greatest love requires sometimes the most bitter action, it seems, like calling people Satan, confronting him face to face. But it's really tough to do when you're playing church. When you're playing church, you can't be so transparent. You've got to be a lot more political. Uh, I've waited for the church to self-correct in the valley. And I, when I say the valley, I mean, I'm looking at a pastor who's in our audience right now. And uh, he has a church that is great. And there are other pastors in the church that have, that have churches that are great. I'm just talking about these, these ones that are keeping things the way they are. So... Uh, that being said, mistakes and error and errors in judgment have definitely occurred on my part. So now it's time for some apologies. Uh, first, a trusted source told me, who used to be on Terry Long's uh, team, that Terry Long had three to five Harleys. Uh, Terry cleared that up and said no. And I said the idea was since he's been a pastor, he has had. He says no, he has had one. Uh, that's what Terry tells me. I'll stand by what he tells me. I was wrong. I am sorry. Forgive me for believing uh, that information. I assumed the person who gave it to me is pretty reliable, but I assumed it was correct. My fault. The I am the ass, I assumed. Um, and the idea is not that pastors can, uh, can have uh, Harleys. That's not what I was saying. What I did was I tried to paint a picture that he's using the tithes to buy himself more Harleys. And I think that I was wrong in that because I let my anger towards him for other areas flow over. And I, when I heard that he had three to five Harleys, I then used, I know he preaches tithing and he does it a lot, which picks, ticks me off. I was like, okay, you know, and I just let myself make those connections. I'm sorry, guilty and sorry, all right? Uh, second, I was also told by uh, people that K2 charges for their coffee. When I sat with Dave and Susie of K2, uh, Dave Nelson, who's the pastor, they used to have a, a coffee guy who made specialty coffees that did charge, but that's done away with. So not true. They don't charge for their coffee. Again, mea culpa, I'm sorry. When talking about Sandra Tanner, 
I, I'm not sorry for the things I said or how I said them, but I am sorry for a phrase because I understand now, I did not mean this, but I used the phrase sacred cow. And a number of women have said, you never associate the term cow with a female. That's just not something you do. And I did not at all even make that connection. We call someone who's an icon that you don't touch, like the sacred cows in India, they revere them, they're walking around <coughs> starving to death, they won't touch the cow to eat it because it's sacred. So that's what I completely meant. If it is assumed that I use that as a pejorative term, my apologies completely. I mean, look at me. Do I have any right to call anyone a cow? Uh, so <coughs> I would never do it just for the sheer obviousness of hypocrisy. So I did not mean that at all. If we use the phrase sacred beauty queen in our it referred to something actual like a sacred beauty queen, I would have used that. It's just the term. So please don't make a mountain out of that molehill. Uh, heard from Terry Long, Paul Roby, going to meet after Thanksgiving. Sat down with Pastor uh, Nathan Taylor. Very enjoyable. He's a pastor at Hidden Valley. He's a five-point Calvinist. He's highly trained by the Biola boys. High intellectual. Very smart guy. Knows his stuff. Partial preterist, by the way. We had a good discussion as we talk. He's going to be on the show next year. And uh, we have tentatively set a period of time for James White to come and visit us, as I said. Finally, Mary and I met with Pastor Dave uh, Nelson and his wife Susie for lunch yesterday. I was able to hear about their purpose in coming to Utah in the first place, who their target audience is and has been from the beginning, which are the uh, lost sheep, uh, the people who have no relation to religion, who are like this toward religion. And so their approach is more, much more open and uh, more stories of scripture and telling of scripture through stories and actual scripture. They have a purpose and plan for that. They have uh, reached those people. Uh, I found Dave and his wife affable, certainly lovers of Jesus. And uh, on a personal side, I enjoyed their company very much. I was also able to speak frankly with uh, Dave about uh, collections. I gave him a challenge, which he willingly heard. I said, I just challenge you, brother, to uh, not use the word tithes. And if you can, not take up collections and let the people, if they're moved, to give. They know if you have a boxes at the back of the church that they can give. And he took it with all seriousness. He says, I will consider it. I've been wondering about things like this. They've talked with his, his people, open to it, and also about maturing people in the faith through the word. That is something that's on their heart. And that's the other thing. How do we take the thing that Latter-day Saints need in this valley more than anything else is the word? Because they don't know what is Christian and what is Mormon. And they, if they don't hear the word to teach them, they will never know the differences. And so they'll, 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 it's not that they can't have a full relationship with Christ without knowing the differences by the Spirit. They can. But the washing of the word will help them. So I just challenge Dave to, to think about how they're doing that. And they are doing it in different ways. And they've tried different ways. And people often don't even care that it's offered. So... Uh, trying to make the churches in the valley ex-Mormon ready. That's the goal. 
That's the, that's the thing we have to do now. We've done why not be a Mormon. How can the churches be more ex-Mormon ready? So you will note that in the opening of the segment, we took out uh, the fire, me lighting the fire in front of K2. And I've done that because I jumped the gun on them and their purpose in the valley. And I'm sorry for that. We are out to build bridges, believe it or not. And we're out to invoke change. It takes some ugliness, I believe, at the start. The opener was a way to get people's attention. And it did. It has. I have appointments with people to talk to people who do not talk to me and have not talked to me. So hats off to Dave and Susie Nelson at K2 and their heart's desire to serve the king. We'll give you updates as that continues. Uh, we're going to work diligently to try with all pastors. We're just starting here with the, the, these. And we're going to try to work with all to, to talk about some real leadership, out in the open light leadership, no money involved, fellowship with pastors to talk about these things. We know that the Mormons aren't the only ones in the state. There's a lot of people who aren't. But my heart is for them. And there are a lot here, so that's what we're working toward. And I just want to clear uh, one more thing. And this has caused a lot of different views of my person, and I'm going to address it just because I think it's necessary. I wear a lot of hats, and I'm different with each hat I wear. Not really in terms of who my person is, but in terms of what I do. For instance, I am a believer and follower of Christ. That is the main hat I wear. And so when that's a humble approach with people where I, that's how I am, because that's how Christ tells us to be. Uh, I'm a husband and a father. I don't wear my, uh, I wear my believer hat closely with that, but uh, not using the same language and the same approach completely. There's different nuances that come with being a husband and a father. Uh, some people say, if you wear the Jesus hat, you are that Jesus hat exactly as a husband and father. I don't agree with that philosophy. I believe that as a husband and father, marriage is of this world, and that we have to relate in that sense in a little bit different way, using what we have through Christ, but different. I wear the hat of a pastor teacher. That's the way most people only know me, uh, and, and, uh, or from TV, and uh, so they have their views of me in that position, and I wear the hat of a former TV guy here in the state, and now a live streaming host of controversial topics and challenges. There are people who believe that you should be the same guy that's wearing the hat as a believer as the same person you should be as a father, as a pastor, as a host of a controversial show. And that's a very traditional view, and it's, that's how many people will define the integrity of a man. But I absolutely don't agree with that. To me, that is someone who has a hammer, and he hits every single thing on earth as if it were a nail. And, and I think there's disastrous consequences. For instance, if many pastors think you're going to be a pastor when you get home to your wife and your children. You're still that pastor. And that is why we see a lot of pastors whose kids leave the faith altogether or become atheists or join the Mormon church or marry a Mormon and leave the faith because they haven't had a father. They've had a guy who's been a pastor. And I think that there is a difference Christ gives us that liberty to do what we need to do in whatever realm we are. And if we, if we, so I'm of the opinion that while there are certainly overflow and influences in, in those different hats, there's a response ability. There's a response ability as a Christian. And it's not when you're in Rome, be as the Romans. 
you always have your faith, but if I took the role I have as maybe a pastor and I took it into a bar and I'm sitting next to an atheist who's drunk, my role as a Christian should trump being the pastor, you see? There's just differences when it comes to relating to people. And that's why there's so much against, uh, you know, my person with some people, because they assume what they see on the show is the guy who I am at home with my wife and kids, is the guy who I am when I'm sitting with people or whatever. And that's just not the case. The show has a purpose. And the purpose now for HOTM 2.0 is to prepare the state pastor churches to better receive the LDS people, whatever that takes. Light of uh, transparency, standing together sucks at it. They're doing nothing but feeding their own coffers. He does their little shows. They have done nothing to help those churches prepare to receive. Ex See, and I think that when the churches are really prepared to, to embrace those Mormons fully, God will let that, that thing fall down much bigger. I think he'll let it flow even more. But what are they going to go to? So we've got to be ready. And that's what I'm trying to do, right or wrong. All right, I said some things last week, uh, more thorny. Uh, I described myself as a, a leader in the state, and uh, that was uncomfortable for some to hear. It was uncomfortable for me to say, uh, but I believe it's true. And if I, can, if I can't be true to myself, then you shouldn't listen to me. And I'm just trying to be true. There's different types of leadership. Mine is one. And, and, and so, uh, so there's a direct price for that, even here at campus. I mean, at campus, we have Trinitarians. We have uh, people who think like modalists. We have, uh, we have a lady, she passed away. But for years, she used to write my tithes on her check that she would put in our donation box. And I would get her and I would say, Heidi, why do you do that to me every week? Are you trying to drive me? I believe in it. Well, okay, and I, I accept that. But you're trying to bug me. She just laughed. No, no, it's my right. And she would give us donations to the penny, you know? You know, it wasn't like uh, $50 or $100 or $5. It would be $10.97. She knew what she was doing to me. But she had that liberty to call it her tithes, and people do think like that. When I talked about Greg Johnson's gun trading on how to put a bullet in the head of people coming into your church last week, I realized that probably we have a, the most gun-toting people in America in campus. Afterward, everybody is showing me that they're packing. That includes grandmas and women. They're all carrying guns in this place. I'm railing against it with Johnson's training, and this is probably the most protected place in America, or it's the most dangerous. In fact, in church, I said, listen, if someone comes in here and comes up to the front to get me, please don't start shooting. You're going to miss and hit, kill me. You're not going to hit the, the perpetrator. You guys aren't trained. Anyway, uh, so I'm just trying to say, listen, there's a price when I talk like this on Heart of the Matter. People at campus hear it too. And our numbers go down over some of the things that are said. But that's that hat thing I was just talking about. All right, I also talked about sending out a letter. And it said, if the churches don't repent, 
of demanding money of congregates, placing them under false authority, and frightening them with the second coming of Christ, then I guarantee their doors will close for good. That's a huge statement to make. Uh, I said this, and I said, if God is my witness, this will happen. Now, I'm not using God as in, thus saith the Lord, here is a curseth. What I'm saying is this is a secular prognostication of what will happen. Like a, uh, an economist saying which way the stock market's going to go. By the signs, I believe if they don't change, then those churches will uh, shut their doors. So, uh, what would lead me to this prognostication? Well, we have a board of direction to explain it, so let's take a look at that. Important take a look at this. Churches will close their doors forever. I said that. Ultimately, it may be in a, a month, it may be in 10 years, it may be in 30 years, we'll see this, but ultimately, the churches in America will begin to shut their doors because of a number of factors. First, the first spoke, I'll just put number one right here. They cannot maintain. They will not be able to maintain the course that they're on. Our histories of civilization show this, as do studies in business models. There has to be an increase in performance. Uh, the Epicureans, the Greeks, showed that when it comes to pleasure, entertainment, there has to be a steady increase or else there'll be a drop-off of participation. So if you have uh, 400 monkeys juggling fireballs, the next week you have to have 500 amputated monkeys uh, juggling fireballs. You see, you have to increase the output to maintain what you have. And the, at the rate we're going, if we want to keep Jesus in the mix, that's not going to be possible. The churches won't be able to maintain. Let me give you an example of this from music history. There was a band, you may know them, The Doors, led by a guy named Jim Morrison. Their first concert, Jim Morrison was so fearful that his voice wasn't sufficient that he sang with his back to the audience and he sang to his drummer. And when he did a few things, the crowd went kind of crazy. And so Morrison was known at, for putting on as big of a show as, as the music was. And in time, the band said it became, we have to satisfy them with more coming from Jim than the music. The people weren't even showing up for the music anymore. They were showing up for the spectacle. So churches, this isn't possible if they want to remain his. You see, so they're, they're developing their own uh, problem. People who cut their teeth on religious show uh, will have a difficult time remaining. All right, the second one, uh, number two, that they won't is millennials. Now this is uh, the, the generation that is young and vibrant today. They, they say that what millennials want is value. That's the thing that drives millennials more than anything else. They want a bang for their buck, so to speak. And they are very suspect of uh, biblical tenets that are hollow in their ears, and I'll just say it, they're suspect of 
old school thinking, like the ark contained every animal on the face of the earth, including dinosaurs that were shrunk down to be this big so that they could fit, and, uh, or that it, the, the water covered Everest, uh, and, and it was gone in the 10 days or whatever the number of days that it says in the scripture, those types of things. Now, you can be a good Christian, and you can understand those things from a more scientific perspective, and it doesn't mean you're not a person of faith. It just means you're looking at a more reasonable explanation of what, what happened. Well, the millennials, they don't like this stuff. Plus, they, the way they think is, I'm giving an hour of my time to, to participate in something. I want an, an hour of value added to my life of the thing I'm interested in. And if they don't get it, they don't participate. So the millennials are going to make it tough for the churches to stay there. The next one, this is a big one, and that is government intervention. So here's the next one, government. Let me explain. Uh, marriage of homosexuals. Churches decided a long time ago that it was in their purvey, uh, purview to perform marriages for heterosexual people. For some reason, that has been passed on as being the thing that pastors and, and reverends do, and they've made it part of their, well, I'll have a church wedding. Well, when you live in a society that is getting more and more uh, bent on everything being equal and there being col uh, politically correct speech and everything else, the homosexual agenda, when marriage becomes legal for homosexuals, it's going to be really tough for churches to keep their doors open if they refuse to marry homosexuals. And so hate speech will be leveled at them. And the, if that happens, there will be an elimination of tax-exempt dollars. And when there's an elimination of tax-exempt dollars from big churches... And people giving, they just don't get any benefit from it. Remember value from the millennials. That income source is going to dry up. And the big mega churches are going to have to sell their souls in order to keep the show going. They're going to have to get rid of anything they once stood for because they won't be able to keep, uh, keep up. So that's going to cause uh, budgets to fail and that will cause uh, doors to close. The next one, and this is a big one, we see it all around us. And I just call it corporate sway. What do I mean by that? Volunteerism and fundraising is going to uh, more and more be taken from the coffers of the church. And the corporations are going to take that over. They're already doing it. That for every dollar you spend at Home Depot, you'll have 50 cents go to the Lost Children's Fund of Nairobi. And, or feed this, or do that, or J.C. Penney's holding a march for the homeless in the park. I mean, and corporate dollars and corporate sway with their national attention is going to grab more and more volunteerism. So the churches aren't going to be able to, there's going to be more volunteerism and money donations done by the corporations than the churches have ever gotten. It's happening now because we have a socialized group of people who want to give back. It's part of the millennials' idea of what it means to be human. So everyone wants to give back and they want to contribute. Remember the word value? They want to contribute to causes that gives them value. So if they spend $5 at a movie theater, well, let's say $50 at a movie theater, and they find out that 10% of that is going to go to a common good of saving uh, silver-tailed foxes, they will go to that movie theater instead of the other one. They want value. 
So when they show up to church and they hear that, the, that what they're giving to the church is supposed to help this one group, and yet they can go to work and they can give the same amount and it will do much more because of corporate matching, you're going to see corporate sway affect what Christian churches in America have kind of built themselves on. And that's we are the uh, provider and funders of all good things to people who need it. So corporations are becoming the new church of social engineering. And they do it better and, and they can actually have to do it more honestly because of their bookkeeping requirements and, uh, where churches may not. So giving and donations are happening everywhere. And unless the churches provide that added value, uh, they're not going to be able to compete with corporate sway. Then finally, there is a society at large. And what I mean by that is uh, communicable diseases that to gather together in huge places. Right now, there's forms of hepatitis that cannot be cured. There's forms of tuberculosis. We do not have medicines to cure those. And so gathering together in big monolithic churches with, you know, if you put 10 people in a room and no one has a, and one person has a cough, you can kind of deal with it. You have 10,000 or 5,000 people in a room and 70 of them have coughs, you spread much quicker. So the large model is going to, there's just going to need to be a few of those outbreaks. Another one are the shootings. We have the psychos come in and they shoot up a public place of worship. They've done about four of them recently in the past couple years. And so that happens enough. What do the churches need to do? They're going to need to get their money that they're getting for themselves. And they're going to have to put it into uh, metal detectors and security and patrol. And pretty soon that model will break down. So society as a whole isn't, it is, is, uh, going against the model of church that we are doing. So to me, this leaves the churches, these things leave the churches with three choices. The first one is try and retain their power and influence by adaptation. The second one is try and remain without any modification at all. Do nothing but what you're doing. Or the next one is begin to implement some immediate changes that will benefit the people. They, will, they may not benefit the church, but they will benefit the people. If the churches deconstruct and they use their assets now to help with funding house churches or smaller gatherings, and they help with providing materials and things like that, and the people can fellowship and talk, and they provide with all that stuff, that would be a shift that would be beneficial to the body today. But if they refuse to do that, let me just try to talk about trying to retain power. And uh, they're going to have to cut down on Jesus. They're going to have to cut down on the biblical idea altogether, which will confirm more than ever that what, what churches really are today. They are social clubs. That's what they have really become if Jesus isn't taught they aren't fed the word. They aren't worshiping and leaving filled. So, and, and if you look around, people say, well, I belong to the social club of Presbyterianism. I belong to the social club of a Wesleyan. I belong to the Mormon social club. People love that one because it has so many benefits. I belong to this social. So really, they're social clubs. And you say, as a member of that club, I adhere to what they teach. And that's really all it really is. 
So uh, there will be a correlation seen in churches of the future. The more the Bible is taught in churches, the more the Bible is taught, the, uh, the, the less that will be derived for the church. There's an inverse relationship. The less the Bible is taught, the more income and support they will receive. Mark my words. Now, I don't know when it will happen, but, you know, when it comes to, like, when I was a stockbroker for 13 years, that's what you do. You assess the economy, and you look at stocks, and you say, this is how, this is what's coming with this. I think this is a good thing. And I wasn't too bad at it. And so I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm not saying anything. I am just looking at the signs and saying churches now need to make the change. Churches that want to retain power will have to openly and accommodate this world. They have to perform things that 20, 30 years ago they would never touch if they want to keep their doors open. That includes everything to do with the LGBT4 Evan 7, whatever that is. They have to stay up. They will have to constantly give to people what they want. When the group says, we want to participate in this, the pastor will say, yes, the Lord has told me that's the best thing. Or the being upstairs has said it's the best thing. Or I have a feeling it's the best thing. However dumbed down it gets. And they will need to use their resources to protect the flock from physical harm. This is coming. Bottom line, churches in the future will have to sell their souls if they want to retain the power structure that they currently have. Second, if they try to stay the course of spiritual mediocrity, of teaching the Bible verses sometimes, and you know, being a church but not being offensive and, and, and not doing too much on either side, uh, go to Europe and look at the beautiful churches that are strewn across that country that are almost all empty. That's what we will have here. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's going to be one or the other. So those who try to just kind of stay where you are, you're, you're headed for doom, I'm telling you. All right, finally, if they are, in the name of Christ, willing to change, this is what they will have to decide to do, the churches. Use their every meeting to fill people with the word of God. There's no playing around anymore with all this stuff. That's what churches are for. That's what shepherds do. They feed the flock the word of God. And so that the principles fall into the heart of the believers and the believers support and attend and congregate with that church because they're being fed. All right? This will cause attendance to drop in your church. You will see attendance drop, and that means you will be forced to watch those churches that get bigger, who change and adapt to the world bigger and stronger, while you, who were once big, are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. That's what happened with uh, Armstrong's church. When uh, Takach came in and said, listen, we are going to start teaching the Bible, and we're going to get more to who Christ is, their numbers and their money fell dramatically. But the leadership said it's worth it to make the change. As your attendance falls, you will downsize on your material approaches to church. No more juggling monkeys, no more stuff. You have chosen to arm the people who want to be there with the word of God. Millennials, if they don't feel like they are getting value, they may not come at all. Who knows? You will begin to cut back on your overhead. You're going to eliminate staff. 
You're going to rethink what you are actually feeding the people. You will announce that you will no longer pass a plate. You're not going to have tithes. You're not going to make people feel like God wants you to give, them, uh, give you money when the bag comes by and everyone's looking to see, do you put it in? And you'd be like this poor guy I know who always reaches in his pocket, grabs nothing, puts it in the bag, opens his hand, takes his hand out, and, and then acts because he feels so embarrassed to be sitting on the pew and not doing that. How could that be right, right? Uh, you will encourage all people to remain in the word and completely support their liberty in him, and you will send them out into the world to be Christians. You will not occupy their life to serve your church, to sweep your floors and, and groom your surroundings and do all the certain volunteer jobs that churches do to make themselves feel important. And in this, you will downplay your position as an authority figure. And you will make yourself a humble servant who is there to try to feed and help. And in time, you will be forced to move your operation to a dumbed-down location, possibly to a home, possibly to a living room, possibly to a local library. And you may even have to go the house church model. You will teach the Bible for what it actually says and you will teach people and encourage people in their walk with Christ. And in humility and in difficulty, uh, you will uh, become more meek week in and week out. And finally, you will allow all people to come and they will believe what they want. They will exit believing and hearing what they want to take with you because they do anyway. You're going to get rid of all the authority of policing your flock. And your job will be to just teach the word and then serve those people. Whatever path you choose as a pastor, one of those three are probably going to be it. You're going to try to continue to adopt, and if you do, you're going to sell your soul. You are going to try to maintain the course in straddling the world with some Jesus and some not and all this stuff. You're going you're to go away. Or you're going to change. And I am suggesting so strongly you change. But one way or another, and in some form or another, the doors will be shut. Take a look at this. I was wrong again. Uh, so... Do we just have a pr provocative intro and we're just stirring things up and it's going to go away? Hardly. Uh, we're working feverishly to, to try to help the churches in the state and, and we're using Utah as a model. In my mind and the way I'm setting things up with people is this is a model. And uh, to help receive exiting Latter-day Saints responsibly, to wash them with the word and to fill them with his spirit through complete liberty to love. That's, that's what I'm, we're hoping for. But this is just part A. Part B and C are coming. Uh, part B of this general direction we're preparing that is going to radically change the way things are done. Um, it, like that analogy I use, we're trying to be like a good surgeon that has to do some really unfortunate things to someone who has cancer all over their face. And in order to keep them alive, we're going to start removing and cutting. And I believe that Utah could serve as a model for the nation and perhaps parts of the world uh, if it's embraced. Over the course of the year, we'll reveal this plan B, and it's going to bring terror uh, or joy. 
It's going to bring terror and joy to the hearts of uh, Christian leaders and Christian managers. And uh, I'm so looking forward to it because it will uh, create a change. It's not going to be our little geographical show and my rants and raves. It's going to have purpose. It's going to be frightening. And it's going to be real. And it's going to be good. And it's going to be based on authenticity. And it's going to be based on honoring God and following Jesus in spirit and in truth. So, uh, like it or not, we are going to attempt to lead. Uh, Right now, Johnson and Wallace, who believed he came here to lead, they're not doing it. They continue to fail. Something needs to be done. You, I know, most will say the guy's nuts. He's just nuts. He's a Ted Kaczynski of religion. Uh, you know, he is prophesying uh, the end of things that just aren't going to happen. This is, this is God's church. This is Jesus' church. He won't let that happen. Well, you know, look what God allowed to happen to the the church for the first 1500 years after the last apostle died you know he god gives us our freedom and he lets us kind of deal with things in a historical manner let's open up the phone lines 801-590-8413 801-590-8413 i've received a lot of emails i'm going to hit some of the highlights and this one means so much to me it's from Kev and his wife, Sandra. Sean, the first time you really grabbed my attention was back when you were hitting evangelicalism in 2012. I was wanting more and was disappointed when I didn't get more. I was raised inside the machine and understand how it works and the damage that they are causing. My father was a pastor for 38 years. Every sermon was scripture by scripture that ended in the freedom that salvation brings. In all that time, he never, and I mean never, taught, preached, or spoke from the pulpit on giving money, tithing, the Trinity. The denomination he was part of had many teachings he did not support. He never went against the Bible in order to please those that were coming down on him from the state and national leadership. He simply refused to perpetuate mistaken uh, ideas or complex interpretations or beliefs that couldn't be articulated. Finally, after 30 years, the story will kill you. A new state bishop, a zealot that didn't really know my dad, without warning, came into his church on a Sunday morning, took over the service, and while making false allegations about my dad, tried removing him from his position in front of the congregation. This was a mistake because the congregation knew my father. Another man that had only attended after my dad took his church, took this church, even though his family had been attending for years, stood up and approached the pulpit and began to beat the blank out of the state bishop while the others stood up and helped. <laughs> I understand, he writes, this is not a good thing. But as his son, I couldn't help but not stop the beating. I'm sure your children can relate, exclamation point. But my father put a stop to the beating, got the bishop medical care, and within a week stepped down from that denomination. My dad remains to the most loving man I have ever known. He showed me that everyone should be loved. The prostitute, the homosexual, the bum, the addicted, the hated, and everyone was welcome in his congregation. He wasn't in it for riches, but to serve others and serve he did. He held weekly services in old folks' homes on Thursdays, 
prisons on Tuesdays, in-home Bible studies on Mondays and or Fridays, and visitations on Saturdays to shut-ins first and then anyone else. We would have to give up our bedrooms on a regular basis to strangers, homeless, and drunkards. My father saw the only soul, my father only saw the soul of the person. From the most degenerate to the most highly praised, I witnessed true Christ-like love for others through him. My father didn't deserve this kind of an exit, but that didn't stop those scared of questioning their so-called truth from trying to shut him up. As you take the ministry in a new direction, remember that there are other pastors, ministers, that are swallowed up by the machine and at some point in their life will agree with you. Yes, most pastors go along to get along so they can move up and attain worldly aspirations and standing, but not all. Some are scared because of what it would mean to their families, friends, financially. This may not justify their cowardliness, but an appeal to these men may eventually yield some allies. If Christianity does not change, Christianity will be replaced in time and die a death of a thousand cuts. I've been on the churches so much that I've forgotten to praise God for men like Pastor Lane in our present and our past. And I realize that there are such pastors in Utah, men of God who put me to absolute shame in their dedication, faith, and love. I want you to know that this is, don't let this be lost in my criticism here on the show of the church as a whole, generally. Uh, I meet men, just saw a man 45 minutes ago who are Christian. They are pastors. They teach the word. They're not in it for the glory and the money. They serve the body through the talents God has given them. They are in there day in and day out in the trenches. Even some of the big giant churches have pastors with that heart. But we have to step up and be brave enough for the cause of Christ to make changes that today are so difficult to make. The word has to be taught. It has to be taught. It has to be taught. And love has to be the way we live. We teach it and we love. The burdens have to go. And when we do that, we're going to, we're going to be able to follow in the footsteps of men like this pastor who I just read about. Thank you so much, uh, Kevin Sander, for reminding us of this. Uh, this is from a brother in uh, Idaho. He says, I tried a few Christian churches, but finally stopped going when I realized that church is a business and what they really want was my money. And there isn't much of that. Thank you, Brother Johnson. Rachel wrote, and I'll respond to her as we move through it, I guess I just miss your former more ecumenical attitude in Christendom when you first came out. You wanted Mormons to know Jesus, who Jesus is and was. God, not their big brother, whether they had a Trinitarian moralist or whatever else concept there was. I still have this heart, Rachel, and we still have 500 videos that are reaching people all over the world with that message. That has not changed. She goes on. So Sandra is a Calvinist, uh, took the Calvinist path that you disagree with. She helped me realize that the Mormon version of Jesus is not real. So did you. I'm grateful for UTLM for that. I think we can do more. It's not that I, I, I've, I said in that show, I am grateful to her. I respect 
her and her husband. I respect you to them still. I recommend them still. But we can be better. That's all it is. We can be better. And that will come by telling people who are leaving Mormonism what is out there. That will help with the attrition and the moving to atheism and godless humanism that is being offered them. She continues, Sanders been in the trenches a long time without the benefit of internet, but during research before Google existed, I have benefited, you have too, and countless others. I guess I'm giving her the sacred cow status in the Exmo world. I think she deserves it. I don't agree with Calvinism if that's what she is, but I don't uh, see her pounding that from her uh, UTLM pulpit. And listen, I don't know that she's a Calvinist. I just asked her if she was. I would be interested to know. I don't, I, she may not be. But I think it's important for people to know who are reading her stuff about Mormonism and are thinking of leaving the faith that she believes in that God, that that is who the God she would recommend they go to. And if she doesn't believe that, to say, I think that's an important piece of the conversation now. It may not have been that important back 20, 30 years ago. But today it's important because what's happened is the LDS church is hemorrhaging and we are losing people to the world. That does not, that's no good. That doesn't work anymore. We need to have something for them that they understand what they're stepping into once they leave that club, which is such a comforting club to people. Uh, and, and by the way, because Sandra has done so much for so long, uh, uh, I don't think people deserve anything. I don't think anyone on this earth deserves any praise or accolades for what they have done. That's the business of God and that person. So we don't put men and elevate men and women up for anything. You start to do that, you start to replace where all glory should be. Remember that one sola, sola gloria? I mean, we gotta keep that one kind of in mind. It's all to God. You start to lose that when you start holding people up for all the good they've done. You know, God let Job know what, who Job is going through hell. And he's, Job, God was like, come on, dude. You know, grow us that. Sorry. Stand up, man. Get over it. I'm God. You're not. And we have to remember that. Forget the uh, idols. All right. Uh, we are out of time. I have a few others. Uh, next week, I'll open up with an email from Brother Norris in New Zealand. That's my New Zealand accent. And he writes a wonderful email to encourage. We have people all over the world who tune in. Uh, we're not big, but we are scattered everywhere. And uh, we just love God for that. Uh, tune in as we continue on to try to make things better um, here on Heart of the Matter 2.0.